Gomer, I have some news for you. All right, Luke, what's your news? And you're scaring me with this. I'd like to turn the Catching Foxes Twitter account to a um, Milli Vanilli fan page. Well, Luke, I've prayed long and hard about this, and I think that's the only way forward. Can I, can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Uh, please do. So right now, Gomer, I'd like you to insert Blame It on the Rain. Blame it on the rain. Okay. Okay. Rain. Yeah. Such a good song, right? Yeah. Now, okay, so there was an Instagram post that Emily made of, uh, it was my niece, and she was playing in the rain, and she had Blame It on the Rain playing in the background, and it was awesome. And I was like, that's right. As a family, we really loved Millie Vanilli. It's weird. We had the tape. We played it a lot. Uh, the Gormley family did, too. Oh, that's awesome. I, I feel like um, I feel like your mom had like the light music on the radio on a lot. Like remember every town had a like light ninety nine point nine. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Now we have some people who might not know who the, who the Manili Villi is. I would imagine it's people probably twenty six and under. Yeah. Uh, would you like to explain to these fine young people who have so much drinking ahead of them? I'm envious. Uh, what is a Millie Vanilli? Uh, Millie Vanilli, <laughs> which is sounds so stupid saying it out loud, was a German French. I love our podcast so much. <laughs> a German French R and B duo from Munich, and uh, in the 1990s, they had a couple uh, hit songs that they won Grammy awards for, and "Blame It on the Rain," "All or Nothing," "Girl, You Know It's True." That was my favorite. Oh, ooh, 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 I love ooh. you. I love you. However, <laughs> turns out they were totally lip syncing to everything and they got busted <laughs> and it was sad. And everyone made fun of them for years, for years. For, they, they became a living joke. Their career obviously completely ended. Um, and it was just they became a joke. And everyone felt duped because these guys that we thought were singing who. And then this is the common joke that is that is made about them. I'm not saying anything new here. Had very very thick German ac- like accents. <laughs> and in hindsight, shame on all of us for not going. That's that's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't sound like you have an accent in the slightest when you sing. And I remember I'm thinking I remember as a kid being surprised how thick their their accents were. But I was like, okay, you know, whatever. For years, it was like you just no one listened to their stuff any anymore. They were a joke, and they kind of were forgotten. Listen, and it's listen to this tragic. sick quote from what's it called Wikipedia? By May, Pilatus and Morvin, who are Millie Vanilli, were touring Spain, France, and Italy, lip syncing to the pre-recorded tracks and thrilling crowds with their distinct style: spandex shorts thigh-high boots, and cornrow hair extensions. <laughs> it, like, it was catchy as hell music. Like, let's, let's be clear. Those are very fun songs. And, and, and it's kind of funny, too, because when you watch one of, the, one of the videos, the guy playing the keyboard, it's just like one, I don't even think it's a note. It's just like a key. <laughs> it's just like, doom, 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 doom. But it's like so intense. That is so fun. But they're such fun songs. And so I was, was watching a couple of their music videos on while I was doing some um, busy work. And I just thought of, this is, this is wonderful. And to really appreciate the full Amelia of Vanilli experience, you ha- it's, it's, in a weird way, it's perfect 
for video. I don't quite know why. The songs are fun on their own, but it's another level when you actually watch the video of it. Oh, yeah. And oh, I'm yeah, kind of totally. like, I, I want to enjoy this again. And I think I'm going to. And I don't want to enjoy it without these guys being a part of it. <laughs> like, there's no way I can enjoy it without these two dudes. Now, uh, there is a tragic part to this. I believe one of them died from a drug overdose yeah, pretty in like quickly, the late 90s pretty or something after. like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, there is not a reunion. But, like, if there was one, I wouldn't want them to actually sing in the slightest. Like, I, don't, I, I want to see them lip sync. Like that's what I want. I, it's Millie Vanilli. I, I don't. I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I want to see you like singing. I want to see you like fake sing and dance to these songs because it's awesome. And uh, I just think we need. It's just time that we normalize. I it. think so. It's time. I think so. <clears throat> I think we've been living in a in a. Honestly, Luke, I don't want to like exaggerate or you know be dramatic, but we've been living in a prison without Millie Vanilli. I have a theory for you. I like that idea. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to bind that. I'm going to take it one step a little further. Okay. What if the – so we all talk about how, like, the dark timeline that starts um, with Brexit. Okay. Now, you may agree with Brexit. You may not. I don't really care. Uh, that's just kind of when people say, I can't believe oh, – that's when this whole thing of I can't believe this is actually happening starts. Yeah. goes into hyperdrive when Donald Trump gets – elected and then gets like full on what the hell is happening when the u.s doesn't make the world cup in, in 2018 oh i thought everyone expected the u.s not to make the world cup then uh, I, I hate you um <laughs> the what if the dark so people call it the darkest timeline what if the darkest timeline actually started with millie vanilli Okay. What if we were never supposed to find out and we did and that ruined so what if we had never found out would things be much um, better? Well, I'd still have my innocence. I never would have seen pornography as a six or seven year old. I uh, I probably would be an ordained priest right now. <laughs> Yikes! Yikes! This wouldn't be happening. Yeah, like what if that's like what if we weren't supposed to find out? What if they were just supposed to quietly fade away? But like slowly, and they still got all the royalties. Not they, they wouldn't get any royalties because performers don't. Right, slowly, where we as a people are still allowed to have hope, you know, at like yeah, well, yeah, we'll have a milli vanilli a reunion at some point in time. They full well I'm knowing it was never going to happen. But the lie was beautiful, Luke. The lie was yeah, beautiful. yeah. Like, did we really? Did it really? Did we really need to know that? Because honestly, as as a kid, like, think about this from the perspective of us. You know, we are like what, like probably like. Gosh, okay, so you're, I assume you're on um, Wikipedia because I read their, um, their, uh, their Wikipedia page, and what you said was sounding like the first line yeah. of their um, Wikipedia page. Uh, on there, what time, what year did the lip sync disaster happen? Oh, Luke, you asked me this after, I think it was 93, maybe? Let me. Was it really 93? Why? I feel like it was earlier than, than that. They won Grammy Best New Artist in 1990. And that's when I, I remember from B. Uh, behind the music, the guy was like, and then we had to win the damn Grammy. But she was like, apparently he he felt that if they won, they were going to be exposed. So okay, so uh, okay, so it was in eight, so it was eighty nine to oh yeah eighty nine um ninety one, and they tried to do the real Millie Vanilli. <laughs> oh my gosh, did they really call it the real Millie Vanilli? Oh no, um, I remember hearing them being like, oh that's that's um. And then, yeah, they were a Robin Fab for a bit. So, okay, so it's like, 
I'm 91, so we're like I'm seven, eight, nine years old when this happens. It is kind of a shocking thing to like have like as a kid to be like, wait, what? You 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 think the world is as it is. You don't really understand like you get white lies because kids tell all sorts of stupid white lies, but you don't really understand like deep lies, like lies of you know these people you thought were one thing were not. That doesn't really compute, and it kind of destroys your innocence a, a bit. The discovery of Millie Vanilli lip-syncing is our millennial generation's version of when baby boomers found out that when they were children, FDR knew that the Pearl Harbor attack was coming and he did nothing so as to get his people into war. <laughs> that's debated, but yes. That's a, that's a, I'm just saying the level of emotional impact no, that's fair. on our yeah, generation. Yeah. No, I think, I mean... That's what that's probably I think the trauma would be the same thing as uh, if you were a kid like my so our parents would have been, you know, like uh, so like my parents are about maybe 10 years younger than yours. I think Um, my parents were born in like the mid 50s. Okay, when when were your parents born? It's uh, 47 and 49. Okay, so they're only about like a five to seven year um, difference. I think a comparable thing would be the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. This yes, sort of like, like, wait, what do you mean we're, we're going, we could die? What do you mean I have to hide under my desk to protect myself yeah. from a nuclear I, bomb? I think that's a valid comparison because okay. they were worried okay. of a thing that was, I mean, became actually people, you understand how very close we were. It was like, uh, like we were very, very close. We were like a couple seconds away. Uh, Did horrible. you know we almost went to nuclear war over a flock of geese? Did you know that? Because when did that the US, happen? The U.S. in yeah, like the I remember late... That. Early 80s, late 70s, they, the radar mistook geese for Russian intercontinental ballistic missiles and went to DEFCON 2, I believe it was, which is one step away of all-out war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, so I would compare, I think, a good comparison between, for, uh, like, for boomers of the vanilla experience would be the Cuban Missile crisis now the boomers were already in their late 20s early 30s or their mid 20s when the whole ability thing happened what would that be for us what happened to us in our like late in our mid to late 20s michael jackson dying michael jackson dying you know we were 18 when 9 11 happened so yeah that that feels was much like, more serious than anything else. Yeah, that yeah, we're I, 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 I know. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the jokes ended. The jokes ended. Back it up. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson died. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> oh god, everything is awful. So, Luke, how are you? <laughs> the Matrix has ended. It's a new BetterHelp read from your friend Luke. Uh, so, you guys have heard us talk about I'm a BetterHelp before at length, and we're going to talk about Better, that's H-E-L-P, again. Listen, BetterHelp can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional online counseling done securely online. You, you've heard it talked about on our show. You've heard it talked about like a whole bunch of podcasts. Look, guys, God wants you to find from a healing. God wants you to be the person he created, he create you to be. And if you're over the age of 25 and you haven't been to counseling, now is the time. BetterHelp is committed to um, facilitating great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It is more affordable than 
traditional offline counseling, and this is cool, financial aid is available. So um, BetterHelp wants you to start um, living a um, happier life today. Go to their website, read all, all of the testimonies that are on there, posted daily. And guess what, guys? Guess what? Go to BetterHelp.com slash foxes. That's BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in, in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. So if you go to BetterHelp.com. You will get 10% off your first month. That is fantastic. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. Take that Catholic stuff you should know. Chasing foxes, my ass. Uh, my so I'm going to be talking to 80, 90 priests and seven bishops in a week. Oh, and you're not, not going to bring me, huh? No, but I am going to bring plenty of... Uh, catching foxes <laughs> stickers and see if they want them. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gormley, what is this? You know what it is. You <laughs> Listen, know what it is. This could go one of two ways. Either you're going to hire me and Luke to do everything, or you're never going to bring 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 me back. Either way, this check is clearing, so we're good. <laughs> you you shouldn't have given me the check on day one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you going to be speaking at? I am going to be at uh, the Atlanta province or whatever they call it for their um, – it's like called the Provincial Assembly. And it's a bunch of oh, different yeah, dioceses yeah, yeah, yeah. that are in yeah. a region. Yep. And yep. Uh, I'm talking on Pope Francis's uh, document on youth ministry. Oh, not, that'll be fine. That'll be good. Got to read it first. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to That's why Jesus you. invented plane flights. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, uh, I've been studying this for um, years. I, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, 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 uh. I read this on the flight, and I have a podcast. Two, actually. Yeah. We're no, fine. That, the, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go, well, uh, real quick, um, the guy with the bow tie. Uh, I know you've studied this for years. How many podcasts do you have? Oh, you don't. Oh, that's embarrassing. You don't have one podcast? Well, I have two, so I guess that means I'm twice as smart as you because I'm monetizing every word. Uh, good day, sir. <laughs> a good day to you. Uh, good day, sir. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Th- that'll be fun. That'll be good. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Well, you should be because it's, it's a big crowd. It's going to be very important. They're all going to be um, judging you, and then they're all going to go back and listen to this episode. So, hi, bishops. <laughs> I'll do it for half the price next time. <laughs> you know, the best thing about doing diocesan work is sky's the limit when it comes to price tags. <laughs> I'm doing an event for free this weekend, about an hour and a half from my um, from my house, which I'm just going to be exhausted. I'm not – I mean, I'm a, I, like, it's hard to get super excited. And a bad father at the same time. Go on. Oh, gosh. A bad husband. Bad husband. Mm-hmm. Shannon's mm-hmm. like, I don't want you to go. And I'm like, I know. I know. I don't know how to get out of it. I know, but I'm scared of I'm scared of confrontation and my ego. Well, that's fair. Yeah, no, I used to be. I'm not anymore about confrontation. But the Ooh. problem is this Look group who can push asked, back now. Yeah, I know. It only took me 39 <laughs> years. 38 and a half. I'm learning. Um, but the priest is like, here's the deal. The like I I don't really know the full story. He didn't give me the full story. He's like there was a budget. They didn't know there was a budget. They blew through the budget. Now there's no budget. 
but we need you down here. There's nothing for these yeah. people. And uh-huh. I'm like, I get that. I get that. I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And it's, I do think there's something about like, um, and I can understand why Shannon like wouldn't want you to go with everything that is going on and stuff. But if there's an element of like, Hey, I like my heart is, <laughs> it sounds weird. Cause like you're, you, obviously your own family comes like comes uh comes first but i think there's something about doing things like that for free or for like you know gas that is like that's right i need there are times that i need to do this because it just needs to be done yeah and it kind of keeps you sane yeah like i gave a dating talk to like 100 people um one time and it was awesome and then i did the same thing for six and i yeah. was like i'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad this happened like I'm glad this happened like two like two weeks later because it just it puts it all into perspective, which is just like this is not about the crowds. This is about like me doing whatever the Lord wants me to do, and if that means this, then I'll do it. Yeah, for me, it makes me feel like it's less transactional. Yeah, you know, to use yeah. a, a term from our last episode, mm-hmm. like hundred percent. I don't ever want to feel like I'm selling out the faith, even though I do charge people for the talks. But I charge them. I always tell people, I'm charging you for my time, not the talk. So You do. You tell them you're charging for your time? Yeah. I've never heard you say that before, really. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you're such a dick. Is, 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 is it okay to make fun of you now, or, or, or should I hold off? One more week. Okay, fair. Fair. No, I'm just kidding. You can make no. fun of me now. Ah, no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, I mean... Or I always try to choose that, right? Like, I always try yeah, to choose sure. mm-hmm. one one event a year. But the the hard part is uh, leaving my family, right? Like, so I tell people I charge you for my time away from my family because it really sucks leaving my family. I don't want to do that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah. that's it. I think that's I, No, I, I love that you have that attitude. It's something that we've actually tried to um, do <laughs> kind of uh, when we do our um, live shows. Yeah, you know, is I I really try to be like, hey, we'll we're you know we'll we'll do whatever you want us to do while we are there. So, you want us to hang out and talk to like a bunch of like great looking um Indians? We will do it. You want us to hang out in the back in this room that has um uh, that has um nothing on the walls and kind of smells? We'll do it. You want us to go to this weird bar where we're going to hang out for like a long time afterwards? Then I'm going to actually uh, puke in the bathroom of a, of a Walgreens the next day. We'll do it. You tell me, people. I'm here to serve. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. No, I think I think that's I think that that's good. That's good. So on Monday, this Monday, August whatever twenty third, something like that. Yep. I my you know how I t- I don't know if you know this, Luke, but on our show about two months back, I talked about atonement theology. Mm-hmm. And people found it interesting to the point where I've been on like two or three different podcasts talking about atonement theology. But usually there's, it's like a five to ten minute little like, hey, well, that was really interesting. Tell us about that. Well, well, my homeboy, uh, John DeRosa, over at um, Classical Theism Podcast had me on and we were supposed to do a 30, 40 minute show on it. And we went for like an hour and 15 minutes, <laughs> maybe an hour 30. I wonder how the edit's going to come out. But uh, that comes out on Monday. And it was oh, a nice. It was a. It was a hoot and a half. You ever okay when you're dealing with your ADHD? Do you do this thing where, like, let's say you're going to give a talk on X, so you get some stuff like some books or or articles or whatever, and you get your ideas going, and you're like, I want to read this, but then you start to read everything except X. Yeah, so there's actually a thing with ADHD where it's uh, 
sometimes you like it there's a lot of regulation control that you that just sometimes can be kind of tough so you either don't spend enough time on a thing or you spend way too much time on it or you go down like a really big rabbit hole and so yeah so i have found what i need to do is i will time i will uh time myself and so basically it's like hey i i, I can really dive in um, to something full blown you have my complete attention i'm in for about 45 minutes and then i kind of not done, but I need to take a really quick break. Uh, so I will often be like, okay, I've got till this time. Or I'll, 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 if I time myself and say, really, um, no matter what happens at this time, I'm done. Then that gives me a chance to kind of like refresh and um, refocus. So, yeah, I think that definitely is. I think it's, it's a thing that really anyone does. It just is a little bit harder when your brain just doesn't have the natural ability. You, you have to consciously... It's to really consciously make that choice. You have to actually be like, my brain won't do this. So I have to tell my brain, hey, you can't do this. So this is your brain saying, I'm going to do it for you, which is kind of weird. But, like, it's more of an act of a will than it is just, like, a thing you just – because uh, your brain doesn't have the functioning ability to just kind of do it on its own. Yeah, so I suck at that. And so there are times when I'm literally reading a book – and I'm like, why am I reading this chapter on the Eucharist? I need to be reading this guy's atonement theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, let's finish this chapter on the Eucharist. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. ended up reading like three or four books just to prepare for this one thing. So which meant, uh, in the words of Snoop Dogg, study long, study wrong. And I definitely, I definitely did. It was one of those things where I had so much information, I couldn't teach it clearly. But I had a hoot and a half going through it, so nice. that'll that'll be coming out. I think on Monday. Um, oh, good. Yeah, uh, I have nothing coming out soon because I have no life. And how can you kill that which has no life? Literally the greatest episode of South Park of all time. <laughs> how can you kill that which has no life? <laughs> Oh, I was thinking about this earlier while I was pooping. Um, There are times when I realize I am, you know, like the imposter syndrome where you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm a fake. I'm going to be found out. Did we do a podcast episode on that, by the way? We sure did. We sure did. Okay. All right. Sorry. I knew we were going to. All right. Sorry. Game on. But there are times where I feel, which is, it's similar, but a little bit different to the imposter syndrome. And I would just say intimidated by you. And it pisses me off. It really (laughs) starts to piss me off. Oh, why? Well, there's this element where at any moment I'm waiting on here, you like, I'll come up with some like incredibly interesting theological, philosophical, you know, maybe just a new hobby. And then you'll just go, that's dumb. Whatever, nerd. (laughs) I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Everything got quiet. Uh, it's best if we just not talk about these things. No, you're right. You're you're right. But anywho, it is, it is funny how I let different things like, you know, weird me out, bother me and stuff like that. And one of those things is like, is it's just hearing your voice being like, that's dumb. And I'm like, dang it. I said it about you. I'm I'm sorry. No, just like my ideas that are central to the core of my identity. Other than that. Like what? Like what? 
just detailing cars, woodworking, uh, friendship. Okay. In my uh, defense, if I don't say that, I'm you're going kidding. to go on and on and on. I have literally no. seen you try to control an entire room by talking about a thing that has piqued your interest that week. And did I control that room? I mean, you, yes, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> Guys, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about carbide-tipped uh, uh, rotary blade saws. Guys, this is the next thing. <laughs> Can we can we just stop and watch it watch the video of me doing the Father Michael Scanlon impression in front of in front of Father Michael? Oh, just, just, Here we just, go. just put it on the TV. I'll you let made the a fire fall. Let the fire fall. You made a whole party stop and watch that. And they loved it. And they loved me for it. <laughs> oh, Luke, you're the worst. I don't know what to do with you. No, it's just so funny. It's it's like like we all have our like okay what 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 like what insane okay so I would call that. In a very I'm loving um, way, peak Gomer. Like, <laughs> yeah, in no college, kidding. that was like peak um, Gomer just kind of being like, wow, this is happening. Um, <laughs> what would be peak? What's been peak Luke? Of just oh, like. Pe- Luke, you 100% peaked when you were singing your death metal songs during the Franciscan University's resurrection party. Yeah, that would be peak Luke. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh, that was my big. Let's just stick it to everything. And let's all the all the parents, all the adults that were there from town, hey, just some coming people to listen to this arrest. All they wanted, loved it. yes, yeah, yes, exactly. and they were called your friends. All they wanted was some like stupid little thing that we've seen a thousand times. And you know what I said to that? Screw that! And people loved it. <laughs> the children. There was a mosh pit. <laughs> there was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, I was so proud of that. What songs did you sing? Me and you did an opening song. We did. We, no, no, no. We did the closing song. Uh, closing song. We did, we did in order, in order. Uh, chapter two by Project. Okay, so we, we the first song was like Matt Covey's uh, introduction song, which is such a cool opening, like just like live or a rock and roll song. It's just, it's in. A cool key. It's very um, simple. It's very like, it's a perfect song you play before the lead singer comes out, Who Was Me? And then we did Chapter 2 by Project 86, (laughs) which we actually perfected during the second show that we had played, for the most part. Fair enough. Uh, We did a good job. It was actually like kind of legit. There was Chapter 2 by Project 86. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Tell Myself Goodbye by Dead Poetic. And these are all, for those of you who don't know, these are all late 90s, early aughts, screamo, screamo and hardcore, like, new metal band. Like postmodern hard, hardcore, yeah. Um, so that's for, okay. so I, for people who just left the Easter Vigil match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because every year they would do, it was just always the same stupid shit. And I was like, screw this. There's more stuff than, than this. We need to own a warmer band. I'm doing my own thing. And it was awesome. Uh, There's more than hearing Matt Mars transubstantiation. Yes, exactly, exactly. Heaven like, kisses like, Earth. I know, and I, like, we get it. You wrote this song about a girl, or about, or about like Blessed Mother. We've all heard it six times now. No one cares. Um, 
So okay, so chapter two by Project Eighty Six. See, that's that's what I fear you saying about me. But we get it. No one cares. But everyone okay, agreed Luke. it was the same stuff over and over again. And I was oh, like, yeah. well, screw it. We're going to do something totally different. And I wanted to bring in Reese Roper, and they agreed to bring in Reese Roper from Five Iron for like fifteen hundred bucks. And I was told, um, no. And I said, all right, fair enough. Ripping right through the mass and <laughs> yeah, sacrificing the ash. And then, uh, yeah, that was, oh, my God. Okay, so, again, Chapter 2 by Project by Project 86. Tell Myself Goodbye by Dead Poetic. My Bike by Goaty Hook. Is that that? And, I ride my bicycle. No, 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 no. I it's ride like, my no, no, no. bike. No, it's a, it's a pop punk song that's just like, my, bye, yi, 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 my, there they were fun. Oh uh, my Christian gosh, I band. hate that song. Yes. I it's such a fun it. song. It's such a fun song. Yeah, if you're uh, you. <laughs> and then I think, I want to say there was another one, but I think it was just Six Sirens by Project. No, 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 no. That is, that is right. That's right. We did um, Apocalypse Now by, by Squad 5.0, which was awesome. Now, the recorded um, version, which I assume you'll be, uh, you'll be putting into the episode as I mentioned them. <laughs> and then I think we ended with Six Sirens by Project 86 with the POD guy, which is an old, like, mid, like, uh, it was like a 1998 rap rock song that I still think is awesome. And that's what you did with me. Yeah, that was peak Luke. That was peak, like, self-indulgence, like, screw you guys. I'm going hard into what I think is awesome. Yeah, you reject me. No, no, I'm the one who's rejecting you while simultaneously doing the thing that my senior in high school heart would be so proud of oh yeah i was so proud of myself i was like listen i want people to see what real um, christian rock is they're too afraid to bring it so we'll just do it and it was awesome i i, re- I remember one point in time i don't remember like what it was we were doing some like song and i'm screaming and i'm, I'm singing into a microphone and there's a circle mosh pit in the back and I remember jumping into the crowd. It was just like, it was such, it was like a, I think it really shocked some people. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. all of our good friends were just like, what the hell? <laughs> and, then, um, <laughs> and then I think people who were just like, whatever, like it was like, there were some moments where I was like, this is like a real rock show. Like a like hints of that. Because <laughs> you just had this, like, it, and I think when people just said like, what the hell, that's when it was fun. But it was like I remember like watching the um, like watching like video of it being like oh my gosh this is horrific. <laughs> you know Kids it was funny that. because um, you're right we did do the song as the closing because I had to pee really really badly and that's where a young girl that I hadn't seen since our freshman year who I was with Matt Covey our freshman year and my mom booked my plane ticket three days after campus closed down for winter break and so i had to stay with the um kissingers and um yeah two days after or something like that so i only had to stay like one night outside the dorms and uh it was me and matt god rest his soul and we had uh we went to a bar and that's where it was jammed up with all the leftover studentville kids franciscan kids but mostly it was townies and one dude punched his girlfriend holy cow in the face and Ugh. the whole place just, br- I mean, like, went nuts. And she ran out. And me and Matt Covey ran after her to make sure she was okay. And the, co- and the cops were called and all this. But the place was, like, jammed. Like, you're, like, you're, you know, you're, like, shoulder to shoulder with everyone. And it's just a bar. 
And so I was sitting at this one table, and this girl comes in from my freshman year, and I asked her, you know, hey, let me ask you these questions. And that's what she told me, that she she got pregnant as a teenager, and she lost the baby, and she blamed God for it. And she was crying, and she's like, you know, the reason why I know my faith so well is because I believe that God exists, and I hate him because he killed my child. And I remember having this conversation, and Matt Lynn, she gets up to go to the bathroom because she's crying so much, and her mascara is all. And I look over at Matt, and I'm like, what do I say? And he's, I was like, what are you going to say, man? And he goes, you're the theology major. And I was like, I don't – what the hell do I know what to say? So she sits down, and I said – I said the only intellectual thing I knew what to say, which comes from Dr. Peter Kraft, and I was just like, I, I can't give you an airtight answer to the question why, because I don't know. And any answer I give you, you can ask 100 more whys, which is what you've been doing since you know this happened. And I said, but I do know this, that Christ suffers with you, and he suffered with your little girl back then, which is words that I cling to even to this day, obviously, with life mm-hmm. and stuff. But I remember saying that, and she looked at my crucifix as I was holding it out to her, and she was holding me out uh, out to me her locket that she was wearing, which had her daughter's hair. That's all she has of her daughter. Oh, and so I, you know, and I was holding out the the crucifix, and I said, "Christ suffered with you. He can't give. I can't give you a why, but he can give you himself." And she's like, "I thought of that. It, it doesn't do enough. It doesn't do it for me." And then right then, the dude punched his girlfriend. And the whole place erupts. And I'm like, what the heck happened? And I just see this girl grabbing her eye, running out of the bar. And we were right next to the door. And so we get up and she's like, that dude just punched her. And like all these guys are like grabbing the dude and throwing him to the floor. And her and her friend, she's like, that, that jerk, that jerk. And she storms out. And so we go out after her. And then I did not see that girl again until resurrection party, whatever, junior year. Yeah, 2005. So, yeah. And, uh. She grabbed my arm as I was going to the bathroom, and she pulled me over, and I looked at her, and I was like, hey. And she goes, I'm here. And she had told me that night that she hates God so much that when she walks by a church, she sees red. She gets so angry. And I've always remembered that. And she just said, and I remembered it because I had no words to say. And then she, and I said, well, what are you doing here? And she said, I went to confession two weeks ago. Did you see me? I was in the choir tonight singing. And I'm like, what? Wow. And I was like, how did that happen? And she goes, you're right. And I said, what, what? And I didn't, honestly, I didn't remember what I had said to her until she reminded me of it. But I go, what do you mean I'm right? And she goes, because I haven't talked to her since freshman year. She said, I now understand Christ suffers with me. And he suffered with my little girl. And it's the only thing that makes sense in this world. And I was like, holy crap. And she's like, so I'm back. That's cool. Right? Really Isn't that awesome? Like, like literally, to like, I literally had, I had a handful of conversations with her maybe my freshman year, but like that, not like an in depth one. And so it was like that in depth conversation at the bar, spring uh, at the end of winter semester freshman year, to Easter, Easter vigil, Easter day, uh, our senior year. Like just wild. Yeah. And I never talked to her again. And they were like, "Isn't Luke awesome?" Just kidding. And she's like, she's like, who's that guy on stage? And she like bit her pinky fingernail. <laughs> Why does he have a tie with jeans? That's wild. And I said, oh, that's Matt. Girls find him strangely attractive. That's <laughs> true. That was and then I peed. True. In the bathroom. Oh I went to the bathroom. I remember I wore a pair of my grandfather's pants for that. <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like they look kind of cool with the outfit. And I was like, rock and roll. 
You're so weird. You are so weird. What? I just, you know, you know, your grandparents give you old clothes because they're grandparents. And I was like, oh, these kind of fit. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Hey, Luke, Luke, I want <laughs> you to wear my floral blouse, Luke. You It'll will make look you so look delightful. Cool on a rock stage with a black shirt and a pink tie that's really not tied very well because you're cool. Luke, Luke, you people like to wear baggy things. Why don't you wear my girdle nice and stretched out? <laughs> oh, man, I forgot about that. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that was Luke, actually. Luke, okay. you can rip right through the masses, sacrificing <laughs> the ashes while wearing my blouse. You uh, might be able to give up what was past tense and raise it up like Lazarus. <laughs> like my pantyhose when they rolled down. Uh. And then laugh at the strong man who thinks he have control of the whole of your eternity internal as Christ who empowers thee. Uh, I feel laughing at me. Don't know why I had a hard time getting my feet on the ground after college. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because you kept wearing your grandmother's blouse. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Grandpa, uh, I need your pants, Grandma, your blouse. <laughs> now I'm rock star. I was with my uh, kids the other day, and we were talking about the last set of books that I had read. Can I tell you a little bit about them? Mm-hmm. Ten seconds. Uh, U.S. Army Rangers go through a singularity at Area 51, and they're 10,000 years in the future. Wouldn't you know it? Orcs, trolls, giants, and wizards. That's what they're fighting <laughs> with machine guns. And yeah. it's the greatest story ever. It's a series called Forgotten Ruin. Earth is now known as The Ruin. So I'm reading these books and I'm like, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. Then I get to chapter four and I'm like, you know what? I can buy into this. I can suspect. I can do this. Then I get to chapter like 28 and I'm like, what's going to happen next? Is he going to cast a spell or shoot him with an M8? So I love the books. I love the books. I read all the series, bought audiobooks. So fun. And uh, I'm talking with Cecilia. And so my kids, every so often, they'll say, daddy, tell me a story. Tell me a story. And when it's, Ugh, you know, nine o'clock at night. Right? Oh, it is, it, it's awesome, except when it's 9 o'clock at night, and I had to teach a class earlier that day. So when I was driving home from my Tuesday night class, uh, I was listening to an audiobook, and it was the very end. And the people who do the uh, um, Galaxy's Edge Legion audiobooks I've, or books I've talked about in the past, they are really good writers. They're really good writers. And every so often, they'll describe scenes 
or they'll hook you into a storyline which is so powerful and so well written it'll like emotionally own you for the whole you know however many chapters and so what they did was they wanted to show you how did earth go 10,000 years in the future become like something from you know lord of the rings and so it starts off with this woman they call the spider lady and she's uh, a, a super genius computer programmer who's alone and she's alone because the u.s government basically took her and darpa put her in a dark room and just said program and but she was always in love with this little blue-eyed boy from her childhood and the way they described the love she had for this little boy when she was a little girl was just, it was very innocent and sweet and beautiful and it's in the middle of this old woman older woman who is like just sad that her whole life is over and all she's doing is sitting in front of two supercomputers and, you know, changing the world with them and all this stuff. And it's, so I start retelling that story and elements within the story. And my kids were so fascinated with it that my daughter, my daughter picked up my Kindle, um, my Kindle Paperwhite, which I had just charged after like, I don't know, like six months of never using it. And she picked it up. And she uh, began reading the book. Now, this is a 10-year-old reading a book that's written for adults, and it's all about the U.S. Army Rangers killing things with maximum lethality. Hell yeah. Um, Hell yeah. So I'm like, no, I don't want you to read it. She goes, Daddy, you know I love fantasy books, and this is about, you know, she just like crushes these books. She goes, it's about trolls and orcs and elves. And I was like, okay, but the promise is we have to talk about it when you finish a chapter. And if it gets too scary, you got to put it down because it's not really about the orcs. It's about the army rangers laying eight. So (laughs) yesterday she had the book for one day this morning. She's making breakfast and I go, Hey baby, what chapter are you on? And she goes, 28. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what, what? And she goes, yeah, 28. And I go, what scene are you in? And she goes, well, PFC Kennedy. And I'm like, PFC Kennedy, private first class Kennedy. She's like, he was laying, they were, he was trying to get his buddies to lay down suppressifier so he could get the wizard staff. And I was like, Cecilia, we are going to become best friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> could a sentence be uttered that would more endear a human person to my heart than they had to lay down suppressive fire so the man could get the <laughs> wizard staff? And I was like, Okay, okay, that's where the book turned the corner for me, too. I loved it. So we've been talking about it. And then all of a sudden, this sound from senior year. Um, How to get over a breakup you knew was right when you thought you could marry that person. So I'm assuming what this person is asking is, uh, when a person that you have broken up with that you thought was you were thought you were going to marry, but you knew it was right to break up with them, and how, how do you get really over it? it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got some thoughts on that because I did that. Well, I mean, my problem is I kept breaking up with Shannon, and then I married her. <laughs> it sure was. So one way to get over it is just to marry her and, and stop pretending like you're ever going to become a priest. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Um, I so I the last girl that. I broke up with, I'll go serious girlfriend, before I dated Aaron, was, there was a period of time where it was pretty serious. Uh, you never met her, did you? Who? What's her name? I don't want to, um, okay. yeah, it was the, um, I brought her to Brian Kissinger's wedding, you weren't there. Yeah, so I didn't meet her, but I know yeah, who you're talking no. about now. Yeah, I know who you're yeah. talking about. And it, um, 
uh, how to be polite about this. Um, there were some text messages I got after I finally ended it for the very, very last time. I just got like four or five like paragraph long t- t- text messages, and I was like, and we're done. <laughs> and, and like I, I didn't bother to read them. I was like, this is just <laughs> this is this has to end. And yeah. I knew it, and I was like, this is done. I'm never going to talk to her again until I got drunk and I called her a once. Whoopsies. Like four or five times on her phone. I was like, I'm fine. Like seven months later, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I got super drunk and called her. I think oh, I know what happened. You got super a, drunk and called her. <laughs> not a good look. Yeah, I called like her work phone at like two in the no. morning. To leave. Yeah, it was not good. I was hey, like, girl. I, I drank. No, it wasn't. I was just like, just so you know. I did the right thing. <laughs> like, I, like, not oh, by breaking no. up, but, like, a lot of things. I was just like, just so you know, like, I made stuff happen. And, like, you know, I was, it was just, it was not, it was not good. Um, it was, like, something in my brain got triggered. And I was like, she was mean. <laughs> I wanted her to know how mean she was. <laughs> That's so, so funny. It's just the stupid shit you do when you're in your, like, late 20s, early 30s, and you're still single and, you, and, and you've been drinking. Um uh, and it was, it, you know, it was actually like, especially like it was really difficult to break up with her because it was, it was starting to get to the point where it's, where it's like, oh shit, I, uh, like I can't do this. Like it just like, like the, like the weight of it. And I genuinely really cared about her as a person. And, uh, but I knew I liked the, the, the way I felt about her. That wasn't part of the, part of the equation it was just like there's a disconnect here that's just not working and uh and like and it's never gonna work and if i get married to her it is always gonna be like this and so um i had to um i went through a period of like two months of like real introspection like i barely drank i worked out a lot i did a lot of journaling i actually was going through my journal a couple months ago when i was cleaning up some stuff upstairs i don't remember what i was doing I think it may have been when we were going to move the guest bedroom upstairs because I found it and I started to read stuff. And I'm, like, going through some heavy things like, you know, like having to kind of, like, let go of that relationship. Because it, it was not about, like, you know, oh, I'm just not that into you. It was just like this is not going to work. Like, whatever, this is just not going to work. And um, it was very difficult. And so that was – I probably did the most journaling – after that breakup and that and I'm not saying like journaling is the answer, but I do think coming to a point where you can process not even your e- emotions because those come and go, but just like what just happened, you know, like like having to process that. And she came back into my life uh, in August, July, late July or August. We started to talk again. And it it was on and off till I want to say maybe Thanksgiving. I don't. That feels like it's too long. But and I finally kind of put an end to it. Like, no, we're never ever going to get back together. Like, this is done. And that's when I got the barrage of texts, and I was like, okay, good. And but I think doing enough of like enough of the processing over the summer for about which really was probably only the course of like you know maybe forty five days of just really trying to hammer out like. Okay, like if I'm doing this, this means that I'm alone and this means that I'm starting over again and like am I okay with this and like why did this happen and why what did I do what did I do wrong here what could I have done better like where am I at fault and there were plenty of things and this is not I'm not, I, I don't want to put this all on her there are plenty of things that I was at fault for and I think probably in hindsight with a little bit of maturity 
uh, maybe it would have ended up differently. But you know, I'm very happy with how things pan panned out, and she seems to be very happy too. So it's all's 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 well ends well. Um, but I, I think giving yourself just that ability to kind of again, not from an emotional standpoint, which I think is still good, but like actually j- just uh, what just happened. And can I just try to process like what what just happened, and then being able to take to really take a look at that from an objective standpoint is like insanely helpful. I found that to be very, 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 very helpful. And because there is this thing where it's like my life is now not going to look like the way that I thought it was going to. Is that okay? And we're able to see that it is. It um, it just it uh, it's. I just found that to be very. Um, insightful and i i actually probably go back to that journal i don't really do you do you read old journal entries um i think once on accident to see if it was an a thing i could use to write down talk points (laughs) yeah yeah i've gone back to that probably more than anything else i have over the past this is now actually it's uh it'll be nine years right now so um, and I, I mean, and by, I, by more, I mean probably I've gone back to it maybe three, four times. Yeah. You know, maybe, probably a lot more in the, in the beginning. But there were certain resolutions and goals that I had made for myself in there that I wanted to do for my third. Like, I really, I really, like, dug deep. And now, okay, now I remember. I dug deep and was like, okay, what are, what are some goals I want to have in my 30s? So I said I want to be making X amount of dollars. I want to buy a house. I want to do this. I want to be married and have a kid. You know, I, all these things that I did. Um, I, and I, I honestly think to a certain extent, the groundwork for some of Catching Fox's stuff was then because I really started to look at stuff from just kind of a, um, um, I mean, we, we've, we've always talked a bit about like, what kind of person do we want to be? But I really thought hard about it that like, I really was like, this isn't just like wishful thinking. Like, this is like, what am I going to do now? And how do I just want to process stuff from, you know, from, here on out, and I think that's probably when I, f- I, I think around that time I kind of like made a made a resolution of like, I, um, that bad breakup I've talked about. I've talked. I feel like I've talked about that breakup a lot over the past three months on this podcast. What? Uh, no, I it's know, fine. From t- <laughs> from two thousand five. <laughs> um, one of the rules I had for myself after that was like every girl that I date. I have to be able to ask myself, is it worth going through this? And if it's not, like if that pain was in vain, I, I, I would just have a hard time with that. And I, I think I came to a point where I was like, I, I didn't go through that to be in a relationship like this. Yeah. You know, and that was like some, and I had, I had to, I had to face that because as great as this person was, as great as she was and as awesome as she was and as gorgeous as she was, and I would imagine still is, um, it just wasn't working. And I, and I had to, and I had to confront that from a real objective standpoint and that helped me get past it all. I think, am I, am I just a dramatic SOB? Of course you are. Yeah. yeah Did yeah. you think you were? No, 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 no. I just want to. I just feel bad about it sometimes. <laughs> no, no. You're beautiful. You being a dramatic sob is what makes you magical. I was thinking about this the other day, and as one does, I was watching another Orthodox priest on YouTube, and 
this guy Luke is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's not nearly as negative as that other dude that I listened to. Remember that other dude who was like, rawr, rawr, it's all pagan Frankish Catholicism. Well, this dude, he was a convert from Episcopalianism, and he is an Orthodox priest in America, and his name's Father Patrick Henry Reardon, and he's written several books that kind of explain the Father's view of Jesus, of the Incarnation, of Atonement, of all this stuff, and it's pretty interesting stuff. But he had this great line, Luke, that I loved. You know how, like, in the Baptist church denomination and, like, after, they don't believe in infant baptism? Yes, yes. They call it believer's baptism, right? you got to be of an age where you can have your own faith. You accept Jesus into your heart. And that's never been a part of the Catholic Church because we believe that the faith of the church precedes the faith of any individual, right? So that's why we say things like, um, look not on our sins but on the faith of the church, right? And so this is actually a really famous debate between Cardinal Ratzinger and Cardinal Walter Casper over whether the church was originally universal or original, originally individual. And that sounds like a, a fussy theological debate, but it actually has real implications. And one of those implications is how we look at the whole like sacramental world. And the most common thing, if you work for a parish and you deal in the faith formation side, is when sacramental prep comes up, you have a bunch of people who do not believe, who do not have faith, who do not have a demonstrable faith in Jesus Christ, right? You can't look at their life and say, oh, clearly you, you know, you come to mass, you, you love your neighbor, you try to bless other people, you, you look out for the unfortunate, you know, whatever it might be, right? You just see they're just living their lives like anyone else. They don't ever go to church, you know, and then yet they're in second grade. So you better give my kid first Holy Communion or else. This guy said this amazing line. He goes, do we have any Catholics in here? And no one said anything. He goes, okay, we don't have any Catholics. I just want to make sure I get this right. When you go for a Catholic baptism, you present the infant to be baptized. They said, they say to you, what do you ask of Christ church? And the answer is faith. Then they say, and what does faith give you? And they say, eternal life in Christ. I think you say faith or baptism. And what does it give you, eternal life in Christ? And he said, that seems to me to be very, very right. And this was the thing that I absolutely love, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Right? He said, I mean, that's, that's totally an orthodox view of Catholic view, right? That's that notion of the faith of the church precedes that of the individual. And he said... In the Catholic Church, the ancient Catholic Church, where us Roman Catholics and Orthodox, where we all agree, is the view that baptism actually accomplishes incorporating you into Jesus. And it's the church that does that. And it's the church that believes with you and for you. In fact, believing in Jesus means you're a part of the church. And he said, and that's the fundamental breakdown between ancient, the ancient Christianity and modern Christianity, because modern Christianity can never say those words. The faith of the church does not precede the individual. The whole point of faith is for the individual to make an act of faith. And when he phrased it like that, like I've I've totally heard, like Cardinal Ratzinger, that's a very big motif in a lot of his stuff in um, Introduction to Christianity and other parts where he talks about the ecclesiological dimension of faith and all that stuff. But when he said that, I was like, that really hits home because the whole point of Protestant Christianity from its beginning is to get the individual believer to say, 
I accept Christ into my heart, into my life, you know, making my Lord and Savior, whatever it might be. But the whole point of Martin Luther was yep. for an yep. individual yep. to have saving faith where you get that righteous imputation and all that stuff. And it's fascinating because for the Catholic vision, one of the reasons why I think we suck at teaching the sacraments in America, and I, I've, I've said a version of this in the past, but it just keeps becoming more and more clearly, is because we've adopted a Protestant notion of the gospel that here's all the stuff that Jesus did, now just have faith. And then we'll add the sacraments and go into mass and all that stuff on later. And it creates that like mm -hmm. fundamental mm -hmm. fracture. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from the ancient Catholic way, right? It's like, no, to be saved means you're in the church. Just like in Noah's day, to be saved meant you're in the ark. If you're not in the ark, you're being destroyed. You're lost, right? You're, you know, it's gone. And so that, what? Well, and what's it? Uh, I was just going to say, sorry, so that sorry. one, no, no, I, you I'm know, so wait, 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 one no. minute presentation by that priest, I was like, wow, that tied together a lot of really big loose threads that were bouncing around in my brain. So, so, so much, if not all, of our um, modern church efforts at evangelization are geared towards individual um, faith, towards enhancing, cultivating, or trying to disciple individuals. I don't think, that's, I don't think that is necessarily wrong. But I do think we take this attitude of, like, the church should lead to individual faith or the church should enhance individual faith as opposed to individual faith is a part of experience of the church, which is what I think you are getting at, right? Yeah. Because it seems like the way that we tend to view it, which is a very Protestant way of doing these things, is that the church is almost like a really, really effing awesome youth group that is supposed to enhance your faith. Yeah. As opposed to an experience, as opposed to like being the experience of the, of your faith, and it's something where um, going back to that old Catholic stuff the episode about old, it was like two three years ago about uh, the line of like they did one on Mariology and they talked about I don't remember who it was, but if you, they had this quote of if you divorce oh Mary from the church she becomes a goddess and the church becomes a cult, and that has dramatically impacted my faith life because it's made me view the church as like this is where I encounter the Lord. Like they like just like Mary, they make Christ incarnate in my life through the, the sacraments and through her ministries and through other people and the priests. Like this is where Jesus this is my like the source and summit of our faith is is the Eucharist. And that is that's a fundamental that's a fundam that's not a support mechanism. Yeah. You know, like that's a fundamental paradigm shift. And I, if there's anything I haven't that I've walked away when I, when I left a ministry two years ago, if there's anything that has changed for me. It is that I am, and this was there while I was doing stuff, but it was we we we, we called it. We wanted to seek the face of Christ in the life of the church. But I think I still have this attitude. I'm not saying everyone else, but I think I did have this attitude of like the church is a great way to support my encounter with Christ. Yes. But I could do this on my own if I had to. Yeah, yeah. And and now I'm like I don't think I could. I actually don't think I could. Now I now I, I think the individual faith is part of it. Yeah, totally. It's a very important part, and I don't know if it actually works in the fullness that it can without it. But it is not. I I think our structures are now built for the most part towards that aim. The way a lot of times we we approach discipleship. It could work if we were Catholic, or if we were, or if we were like Protestant, and you could you could interchange them, and it'd be the exact same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's I I I don't think this is true with everyone. I'm sure John I'm sure John Lindecker would like lose his shit if he heard me saying this. But um I, I think there's an element of like that sort of um discipleship uh, model that we have in our heads and how we uh, approach this stuff is divorced from the life of the church. Yeah. And I have been gu- I have been guilty of this my whole life up until like 2 years ago. Right. And and it's and it's that ecclesiological dimension of the church that I think we lose sight of when we detach the kerygma, right, the, the proclamation of the gospel. I think it, when we detach it from an ecclesial, ecclesial vision of faith. So what I mean by that is this. When we have missionary groups or evangelistic groups, what they do is, and I know this because I've seen people do it and I myself have done it. But I always felt uneasy because I had a just enough Ratzinger, just enough ecclesiology, just enough Thomas Aquinas to be like, well, this doesn't entirely fit. But all my Catholic friends who are, you know, all my mentors, they're doing this and saying this. So maybe I'm wrong. But what it is is we adopt very successful Protestant models of like street evangelization. Like how do you walk up to a stranger? How do you have a conversation on an airplane? But so many of that, so much of that is predicated upon an understanding of faith of like, I'm trying to lead them in that moment to say something like the sinner's prayer or for me to get to a place where I can pray over them or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yep. that's, not the, that's not the goal. And, and no Protestant would say that's a goal. They would say that you've got to get into a church. You've got to read scripture. You've got to have a prayer life. But the yeah, thing yeah. is, it's what happens on that plane if I were to pray with them and they were to ask Jesus in your life, into their life and, and start confessing and repenting of their sins and all this stuff is nothing compared to what baptism does. And the idea is bapt- a faith in Jesus Christ in what he did for me is what gets you to the door of the baptistry, right? That's what gets you mm. to to baptism. Like you don't get baptized if you don't have faith. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. And so if you're going as an adult on your own and you're saying, I believe what the gospel proclaims is true, that this man, Jesus is actually the eternal son of God. He actually came into this world to fulfill Israel's vocation as, you know, a son of Adam, a son of David, but also to fully disclose Yahweh's own life to Israel, right? So it's the dual thing. Like the divinity is God's, is Yahweh's final, final um, revelation to Israel, but it's also Israel's final um, cooperation or definitive cooperation with God. Like they realize their vocation in Jesus and the father fully discloses his word to Israel. So it's this beautiful meeting perfectly in the middle of it all. But this is the fascinating thing that, that I don't, that it's, it's a pattern that's over and over again in St. Paul. So listen to this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So the fullness of the divine nature dwells bodily in Jesus. And you have been filled in him. So you see, like, here's the divine and human nature of Jesus, the deity dwelling bodily in him. And now you are filled with the divinity in him who is the head and rule of all authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What does that refer to? That refers to baptism. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What the heck is the circumcision of Christ? Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith 
in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So think about this. This is the thing that, like, this is the pattern. The pattern is 2,000 years ago, the God-man, Christ Jesus, did it, went to the cross, rose from the dead, you know, all of this stuff, incredible, in order to make salvation possible. But in making salvation possible, he took the old Israel, made it the new Israel, and the new Israel of God is the church. And so to be in a relationship with God, you cannot have God as your father if you will not have the church as your mother. Right? Because that is how you have a relationship with God. So what's the the pattern with St. Paul is he did this for us, and the way it applies to us is through the sacraments. And then once we live the sacramental life, that's how we live the dying and rising of Christ in our daily life. So it, it all starts with, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So you've received him, but you've received him that he laid down his life out of love for the brethren. Well, now you go lay down your life out of love for your brethren. You go die in baptism, but live your baptism out. Live the radical newness of life. And that's that second act where I receive what he did, that's the ecclesiological or the, the ecclesial dimension of faith. Because only the church dispenses by the power of the Holy Spirit and the sacramental priesthood, only the church gives us that. I can't give that is, to myself. Is this why if I, you know, so if I'm that Catholic who just goes to Mass and I receive but I don't really care and I leave afterwards or I'm not practicing, I haven't been to, I'm confession since my first one, I'm going but I'm like whatever, if I'm going to that, is this why, like, you have this incredible thing that, like, y- you can experience, but it has no effect on your life because you're so divorced from, like, a personal closeness with God and the church? Because, you know, so it, it's like you're going, it's like you're, you're partaking in all of the sacraments, but you're not really because your heart's not there and it has never been there. So you're not in a proper disposition to receive all the graces that are offered there. So if communion is for two to become one, and the two is the eternal Son of God made flesh, made bread for you, right? Like, if it made this total, absolutely vulnerable gift of the altar, and I don't have faith, and I don't have real, living, vital, personal faith in that Jesus, then the corporate faith of the church can still effect the sacrament for me, but how can I get – how will it ever change my life? What does that mean? Life? What does that mean? Me- meaning does that the mean? priesthood is still real. The, the bread and wine, as long as they're legit matter, will still become objectively the body, blood, soul, and divinity yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. But when I eat it, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, 29, when you eat it in an unworthy manner, you are eating and drinking judgment on yourself because you're sinning against the very body and blood of Jesus. So I would say, like, people can go to Mass day in and day out, day in and day out, day or week in and week out, and get nothing out of it because they don't have faith. So the church, as, as, as the living relationship, the bride of Christ, the church can't overcome, like, she's supplying the sacraments, the very thing that can give you grace, but your heart is still saying no. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that regards, you are refusing to be – you might be in the church, but you're not of the church. And so yeah, you constantly okay, have okay. this thing because St. Paul says, though there are many uh, – many are in Israel, they are not all of Israel. And this notion – That's the – sorry, go, go, go. Well, go. I was just going to say that notion of like – that's where the Catholic um, evangelization movement seizes so much on 
the Protestant turn of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we we want to help foster people's devotion to totally. our Lord, so that when they come to mass, you know. But the funny thing is. We end up using the language, which quickly becomes the ideas, which quickly becomes our interpretation of Scripture, from a non-sacramental, non-liturgical branch of Christianity. And I think part of it is – and it's it's not that God isn't unworking and you can't experience profound change, like, through that. But I do think that ultimately there is – this is a hump that we've got. This is a wall that we have to clear. And, and and perhaps like we're not the ones who do like we need to allow God to destroy this wall because I I have found that like it the faith takes on this is why I'm really excited for people to read Father Harrison's from the clerically speaking this podcast his new book Mysterion or something I, forget, I believe it's called that um, which I wrote an endorsement for I'm not sure if it's if it's on there or not but uh, um, nice. it. Uh, Trying to make, like, our faith, like, we need to take them on, like, a sacramental aspect to our faith and our, in our lives. And I don't know if you can do that without experiencing it first, which means you have to recognize that that's what's actually going on. Because if not, then you've just reduced mass to this is the, dumb, this is the church that I go to. And there's not really a much of a difference just besides I believe this is the body and blood of um, Jesus, so this is why I go. And, like, it's, I, I'm almost starting to think, like, oh, that's, like— not a good enough reason to just be. I mean, of course, it's a good. It's a good reason to be Catholic, but like the our experience of the Lord in the Church isn't limited to the Eucharist. And I think sometimes it's a not a cop out, but it's almost like a. I think it shows where the, where like how many people have said, "If it wasn't for this, I would have left." Yeah. Like I, I felt that way at times. Yeah. I've heard plenty of people like say that, and 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 I don't blame them for saying that or 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 for experiencing that. If anything, it's a challenge for the church and people who like work for the church or are in leadership on the roles to be like, do do we need to maybe like, are we? I just feel like in like in America, this has been a constant problem of, during the church entires the entire time here. We are constantly trying to act and view this through a Protestant lens, yeah. which we cannot do because it's not that. So it's never going to work. And I'm not saying that wind build send or that like or that like I'm a focus in these groups that have a very personal um, a discipleship um, um, model or bad or that or, or that they don't work. I'm just saying that as a whole. The American church, I think we we tend to view the church as a supporting element of a personal relationship with God, and I just don't think that that's reality. Yeah, it's not a support. It is the very thing itself. It's yeah. not a thing yeah. that helps you believe in God and gives you community and a place to pray and like-minded people who are striving for the same moral life. It is the new creation. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, if you've been baptized, you are the new creation. And so that kind of that kind of Catholic faith is what I want to live. But I feel like too often I have like a deep love of the sacraments over here. And the way that we teach the sacraments, right, in, in like the tratty way, right, is matter, form, celebrant, recipient, yep. you know, and you go yep. through the technicalities of it. Maybe you go through the biblical proof texts for it. But oftentimes, you know, and, and maybe there's some beautiful devotions. I, I don't want to, like, limit it. But, like, oftentimes the catechetical materials have to be majorly supplemented with the spiritual materials. But when 
And, and that's why so many Catholics are bored with the sacraments. And when they encounter a non-denominational faith in Jesus Christ that's on fire, that's spirit-led, that's reading scripture, and that's actively applying it to their life, they think those sacraments over there gave me nothing, but this individual faith in Jesus Christ is giving me something that I've never had before. And the Catholic Church is saying, it's not just, well, you can have both over here. The Catholic Church is saying, when you have that faith in Jesus Christ that sets your heart on fire, it looks differently from an ecclesial perspective. We can't just hope to have people pray the sinner's prayer at a mass and then say, well, that's good enough. It's within the Catholic context. It's not enough to say, well, repent of your sins, you know, directly to God. And then maybe if you can go to confession. Like, and I've seen it happen so many times. In fact, it was one of the reasons why we started Every Knee Shall Bow, because we felt like, like, I couldn't identify it, like, hard and fast, outside of, like, people just being straight up, like, the sacraments don't matter, or they're just symbolic, or, you know, and everyone should receive communion if they care about Christ. But there was this notion of discipleship that I think doesn't make sense in a Catholic context, and that is a me and Jesus discipleship. From the very beginning, the church gave the spirit. Now, the church doesn't own the spirit, but the spirit is the soul of the mystical body. There is no life in the body if there's not the spirit moving through it. I think sometimes the spirit has deliberately gone outside the body because the body is full of a bunch of faithless hacks who are using the church. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was uh, Father Benedict Rochelle who said, um, you know, he studied the most, like, corrupt age of the church which was like the 1100s or the 1300s. And he said, you could not have worse popes, worse bishops, worse priests, all this stuff. And he said, and every year the church raised the, in the church's official canonizations, there is a saint for every year during those time periods, which is almost unheard of. So it's this crazy like worldview that has to take the church as a whole into its accounting of what does it mean for me as an individual to have faith? Because I'm never having faith as an individual, ever. I didn't give myself life. I didn't give myself faith. Yeah. And you see this because then that's how you view the way the cross applies to me. Because right now, uh, I'm going to baptize a guy. I'm not. The Father David Hust is. But um, we're going to baptize a guy who has been a devout Christian his whole life but has never been baptized. Right? Because for him, he was offended at baptism because it smelled too much of Roman works righteousness. And it's like, but just read what the New Testament, read what St. Paul says about baptism. It's how you take the death of Jesus and apply it to you. And But for them, that's like, no, 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 that's, he did it so I don't have to. And it's like, no, he did it so the sacraments can give it. And for so many of them, that ecclesial dimension of faith is at most, a strong community that supports you. Well, I think it's been tough because, again, we, I, 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 I mean, we, like, talk, Luke. We've experienced this. We just don't know that we are experiencing it. So when I was in Idaho, my last year there, uh, especially the last th- three months were rough. And I had to get the pastor of the church to sign a sheet so I could be uh, my best friend's um, his um, daughter, I was, I am, I am, I am her um, godfather. And I was like, crap, I do not know this guy. I barely go to church here. I go like wherever is convenient for me. And I'm not, you know, there was a, there was a whole lot of stuff though that was um, going on. And I was like, 
I've got a lot of issues, and I need him to be like, yes, this guy's a good Christian. <laughs> like, he can be a, a um, godfather. And I was like, so i got to tell him, listen, you don't know me. Here's what I do. I've got a lot of issues right now. Can we talk about this? And they were happy to sign it, and they were. And he's like, "Yeah, I will." We started, and he's like, "Do you want to?" He actually, it was the first time a priest has ever been like, "Do you want to go to a spiritual uh, a spiritual um direction?" And I was just like, "Yes." So <laughs> we met for an hour, like in the confessional. We just sat every week for my last three months and just talked, and it was wonderful. Oh, that is awesome! And I for, completely forget his name. He was a Polish priest. He was awesome, and. He said two things that, like, really hit me because I was trying to be like, listen, I believe in all the teachings. I'm good. And, and, he's, and, and he's just like, you believe in all of them? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you don't have an issue with one. I'm like, no. He goes, so there's not one thing that the church teaches that you don't have a hard time with. And I'm like, well, maybe this one. And it was really freeing to just have someone just kind of being like, yes, you're obedient to them, but it doesn't mean you have to be like, these are all great. And I don't have to think about them at all. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated that, just like that freedom. And then, because it, it allowed me, I feel like, to engage with the church as, like, a living thing that I needed to try to understand and, like, that I had to um, wrestle with as opposed to just, just like, I'm, I'm checking off these boxes here. Yeah. Um, and then, two, he described my faith as a gift given during baptism. And I'm sure I've heard that a thousand times. But somehow when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Dude. it doesn't go back to when I, you know, converted in high school or doesn't go back to, like, the Steubenville conferences. Those are huge. Those are huge, huge moments in my life. But, like, none of those happen if I'm not baptized. Yeah. Like, it's, for me, that's where it starts. That's where the gift of faith, like, it was the gift of faith that I have access to because of this. And that was, like, a real, that was a real, like, uh, I've said the paradigm shift word like uh, word. I've said the phrase paradigm uh, paradigm um, shift like six times now. Um, it, it just it, that's where like my sacramental uh, view. I would say it was a slow burn, but it started there. Mm-hmm. And it, that when and I had a I wish I just made that that point as opposed to going into that deep stuff because I forget what I was going to say now. But that that whole idea of like this is a thing that is like I'm a part of now that is allowing me to experience the Lord like this is where I experience Him. It's here in these things. That that's a pretty big change from um, like oh now I believe so I'm in. And which again God is there and God and God is working. But this is just a deeper thing that I think we're all being called to, which is like. Yes, a relationship with God is good, and it is very, very important, and it's something that I, I hope all of us have, but deep, real communion is better. Would you rather be in a relationship with the person, or would you rather be in deep communion with them? Yeah. To me, deep, deep communion presumes relationship. And so it's not that deep communion enhances the, the relationship. It's that, like, that is the most important part is that. Yeah, you know, the like, you, I can be in a relationship with a lot of people, but you can't. And he has been. <laughs> and I have the uh, doctor's visits to prove it. But the idea of communion, of being in an intense communion, you know, I'm not in an, an intense communion with my next door neighbors. I'm not like, I'm not in a tense communion, you know, like there's, there are these things that you begin to see in your life that it's like, no, 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 no. The, the most 
inner the innermost core of me is given to very few people slash members who are Patreons on patreon.com slash CF. That's patreon.com slash CF. Other than the podcast. But no, there there is this core of me that no one gets to come near except for my wife, a couple friends. I would say literally you and Chris Miller. Um, mm-hmm. My confessor, Ugh. you know, and, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, and I and I'm much more open than a lot of other people, so I I probably have more than normal people, but uh, or more than most people. But at the same time, more than what's probably healthy, more much more than what's healthy. But at the same time, like I like that kind of abiding communion is the end game of Christianity. Right, the point of Christianity is not to take away your sins so you can live in heaven. The point of heaven is union with God forever, and that's begun now through faith and baptism. Right, so the Trinitarian life is the point. Like God Himself became one of us to give us the Trinitarian life, not to give us a really cool life, not to give us a pleasure banquet that never ends, not to let us stroll among the peacock gardens with Muhammad. He came to give us eternal life which is his own life predicated to himself that's what he has by nature we get by grace like and to think that i can just reduce that to which which okay so then think about this if faith is nothing but my solitary um individual act and even even entrustment to christ giving myself to christ i'm not denying that it's any of those things but it's much much more but if i say it's just me and jesus and i put my faith in jesus confess you know faith on jesus i confess with my lips and believe in my heart jesus lord i'm going to be saved the theology that ends up happening from that becomes very anti-sacramental because the church is just a thing added on and i can take it or leave it which is not at all biblical but then when you begin to look at, at how I read scripture, I interpret it for myself. And if I disagree with everyone else in the history of the church, they're wrong because no one can stand over my judgment. There's no, there's no humility in that. You might say, well, I'm humble before the word of God. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But then you define what it means in this me. But if you live in an ecclesial relationship, then the Bible didn't come out of nowhere it didn't come from a bunch of individuals writing down, you know, dictated words. It comes from the church, and it leads us back to the church. It's the church's book. And so that, I think it, it, like, totally rewires the way, like, I read my Bible in the morning. Because half the time I read my Bible because I need to be immersed in the Bible. But the other half of the time I read my Bible because I'm praying the liturgy of the hours, or I'm doing the office of readings, or I'm going to daily mass. Well, and I think this is why you can go through – Truly, I, I have been wondering this. How the hell did we go through the past, you know, three years and we're still here? And I believe oh, more than ever in, like, who the church is. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, it's because it's the church is what it is. And, like, it's almost like the, this whole aspect of the church isn't remotely dependent upon the holiness of the people who are involved in it. <laughs> it certainly does help. You know, like, it's sure like it's... It's good, but it's not. It's not. Like, your priest can be thinking horrible things while he's consecrating and doing all. I mean, God forbid that he does that. So I, I need to be careful. I, you know, I don't want to, like, cause. I don't want to be unsacrilegious or anything. But, like, it's the, like, his. I mean, if I'm wrong, please feel free to tell me I'm wrong. But his, like, 
in his intensity in doing that, or his soul that like his mind could be in a thousand different, different like different like places. But if he's saying the rubrics because of the power that's been um, given to him, he it it transubstantiation happens. Yeah, it's not dependent upon where his where his mental state is. And you know what's cool about that is it shows you again the ecclesiological dimension or the ecclesial dimension of faith because. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's not dependent on the holiness of the minister in order to give us these holy gifts of the sacraments is because we believe that it is Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit who is giving us these gifts. It's not the priest who forgives. It's Christ through the priest that forgives. That's why that ecclesial dimension matters. And it just sounds like so much gobbledygook when you're you're coming from a non-sacramental church. Yes. Yep. But when you come from a sacramental church and you see it from the inside out, when you're all being John Malkovich from a sacramental church, right, you then see things like the communion of saints. And you would never in a million years think, well, obviously it's idolatry when you light this candle in front of the statue. And you're like, I have never once thought of Mary as a goddess. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like there's God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. I worship them. I just love Mary. I'm devoted to her because she shows me God. Never once in my life I've ever been like, oh, St. Anne or St. Anthony or whatever church I was going to. I worship this image. Never. Catholics don't think that. I mean, some might be sketchy, but Catholics don't think that way because we see the communion of saints. It's like been a part of us. It's a way to it's a way to make an invisible a reality a visible. And that, that takes on a whole new um, meaning when you're – Viewing the church as this thing that makes Christ in, 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 incarnate. Yeah. And it, um, man, I, I drank two things of bourbon before this, so whoopsies. Um, I feel like we've exhausted this, but yeah. this is so good. We should wrap it this up. This is we, so, so good. We should wrap it up. And I should tell everyone that um, if you go on to Amazon.com, the book is called Mysterion. I'll put it in the show notes. The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. I have not read it, <clears throat> but Father Harrison I have, Ayer. Uh, I have a copy. Ayer, um, yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> it's PDF, but still. Eh, quiet, nerd boy. Um, but it's coming out. It's a pre-order. Um, it's a hardcover. Uh, Paul Lyon Books and Media comes out October twenty sixth. Beautiful cover. It's, do they do they have a do they have like the whole book there? Like, can you see the endorsements? Did mine make it? I don't think that I can see it. It's one hundred ninety two pages. It comes out on October. No, see image. No, it's just it's a good. book cover. It's good. I'm. It's I. It's the second endorsement I've been asked to write. I ran out of time to write the write the first one. Sorry, Dominic. Uh, <laughs> this one I'm I'm really excited about because I I really put some thought into it because I, I I really did um like it and it's very it's a very Luke endorsement. <laughs> Let me just put it like you'll you'll see it you'll be like really uh, <laughs> like, it's just very very me. And, well, I I have a yeah. book uh, chapter and a book coming out soon. Whoa, whoa! So you wrote a chapter in a book. Yeah, I did. Am I doing the thing? Am, is, am, did I bring it in full circle? Am, am I making you feel bad? You did. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, I deserved it. I deserved <laughs> no, you had. <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> no, you're Ooh. not. Just because you had to bring up the fact that you wrote a chapter in a book that no one's going to read doesn't mean. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 